This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3090 for Friday the 5th of June 2020. Today's show is entitled Locating Computer on a Enterprise Network and is part of the series Networking. It is the 50th anniversary show of Operator and is about 40 minutes long and carries an explicit flag. The summary is Advanced NMAP Tips. This episode of HPR is brought to you by Archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to Archive.org forward slash donate. Hello and welcome to another episode of Hacker Public Radio with your host operator. This one's going to kind of be a in response to Kenneth's locating computers on a network episode 3052. Going to be talking about expanding a little bit on that, mentioning briefly some other alternative things you can do that may have not been mentioned for home network. And then I'm going to talk about locating computers on an enterprise network or in large scale, the internet itself or a small or medium large size business with multiple networks and all kinds of crazy stuff. So that will be most of what this is about. The first one I'll mention is looking at your router. So logging into your router, looking at the devices connected on the wired internet or wireless and kind of get a feel for what's on there and then plug in whatever your device is and then check that page shortly after and whichever one is added in there is probably your new device. The other option there is you can use ARP to manually set the IP address of a device if you had the MAC address. So you may remember if you're old enough, and sometimes you'll get these Windows setup tools or setup tools that will, you install this thing and it's like, type in the serial number of the device and it's the MAC address. Um, And Kenneth went over that, it's got, you know, the first three sets of numbers is numbers and letters is the kind of manufacturer. The second is the more dynamic. So what you can do is, is use that ARP same ARP command. I think in windows also you can manually specify the IP address you want to set to that device. Now it only works for your current computer. I don't think that translates to the switch. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think once you, statically set that on your local computer it doesn't translate to the switch so nobody else will know except for your computer so that's the other method i would say that pretty much covers all the stuff i mean he's pretty extensive in all of the discovery things some other things to kind of do housekeeping you can add static names to ip addresses so wherever possible i try to create static addresses for any of the machines on the network, any of the hosts on the network. So I get used to that IP address and I get used to that host name that I've assigned to it. So if something new comes across, if I see a new IP that's not in, it, it, it's in the DHCP range, 
but it's not in the range, the higher range that I set that's higher in the DHCP pool, then I know that IP address is a new device. So I don't even need to know, guess where it is. So for example, I have a class A that's the 25 network, which is a little more difficult to scan because 192 is a lot smaller, whereas the 25 network is vast in what, 16 million potential IP addresses. So that can get confusing to try to hunt for devices, but I know my network and I know my DHCP pool. And DHCP pool basically explains how many addresses you're going to sign automatically when your router is booting up or when a um, device on your network is booting up. So with that said, I figure out what my DHCP pool is. I think I set it to zero through, you know, 255 in the 25.0.0.0 range and I start my assigning on like 150 range. So my main server is 151 and like my printer is 152 and wireless I usually don't statically assign because I'm usually going back and forth in between the multiple wireless interfaces on Windows. And I think when you do that in Windows you have to manually specify the IP address every time you switch to a different network. So it's not ideal when you're at the office you have to switch your IP again to that wireless interface. Now, if I remember, let me put some notes in here, actually. Um, I will add some uh, Windows static IP stuff automatic. Um, there's some, some small scripts I have for setting static IP addresses, setting static routes. So, for example, if you're in a different location and that network has um, routing in there, or if you're on a VPN and they allow controlling your routing information, you can statically route things to make your internet faster. For example, um, we're kind of moving out of the home space, but more or less, some more of the same. So for example, if my VPN client for work, my corporate environment doesn't allow the, what they call split tunning. So for example, if I connect to the VPN, the office, all my traffic, every single packet is going to the router and then it's going to the corporate network. So if I want to connect to my Plex server locally, I can't do that. But if your permissions are set up correctly and the Cisco client allows you to assign basically um, static routes or change the routing tables, you can move things around and move packets around to where you want them to go. I have used this on client engagements where I needed to be in three places at once and it's actually worked. So my home network is 25 dot. So that way it doesn't conflict with any corporate environments or home networks. I will use the local internet or the local connection, which probably doesn't have internet. So I'm sitting at a client site, I'm doing an assessment. One, I need the internet. Two, I also need that device to potentially connect to my email or um, corporate resources. And then three, I also need to connect to the internal network for doing testing. So I need to be like in three places at once. So using virtual machines and routing tables and changing default routes and setting static routes for 10 dot networks, setting static routes for 25 dot networks and setting um, default routes for pretty much the internet or using proxies for the internet, I can basically go wherever I need to go on the internet. So I use my proxy um, so, for example, they might block SSH outbound, but you can use something like S-Tunnel, which is kind of a secure socket 
kind of thing where that it uses the HTTPS protocol to tunnel traffic over it. And it's pretty speedy and pretty open. So, for example, if you have a port open on the network and you can get outbound that port and they don't have a deep packet inspection, which means basically when you transfer traffic over a protocol port that's not the right traffic. So, for example, if I'm on a web server on port 80 and I'm using that for FTP, your deep packet inspection stuff will know and say, nope, no FTP for you. We only allow HTTPS and maybe email, email and IMAP and POP. We don't allow any other protocols. And there are some other methods you can basically hide um, encrypted traffic and or um, tunnel traffic through legitimate protocols like ICMP, there's the HTTPS, and a few a few other ones. So a lot of times companies get the get the intention that, hey, we you can't get on the internet. The only thing you can do is DNS. Okay, DNS, you can actually tunnel through DNS. It's relatively slow, like dial-up speeds, because each packet has a maximum size of like 53 bytes or something ridiculous. There's a number of other methods and ways to tunnel out protocols. They basically have cloned versions of other distributions like PonPlug and PWNPLUG. PonPlug, older other distributions, feel free to reach out to me if you want to link to those, but they basically facilitate all the configuration needed to create reverse tunnels and um, tunneling over arbitrary protocols and different protocols. Um, I will say there's not a whole lot of need for all of that unless you're a highly secure environment and the only way to get out is 90% of the time you can get out via DNS. People will say, well, this computer's not connected to the internet. Well, if you can type nslookup yahoo.com and resolve yahoo.com and you have control over the device and you can run uh, arbitrary code on that system, then you can tunnel your traffic over DNS and get on the internet. So we're talking high security, quote unquote, uh, air-gapped networks that are, you know, power, power grid, you know, infrastructure, big stuff that these people will say, nope, it's not on the internet, can't get there, and the only way to get there is a jump box, which is connected to the internet via a series of other connections, tunnels, VPNs, road access, other protocols. So everything is connected to the internet. Don't let anybody tell you that anything is air-gapped. There's probably instances where you have you know, three-letter agencies where something is actually air-gapped and they have to manually, you know, move traffic to that thing. But in all, for all intents and purposes, most of the time when people say air-gapped, they mean there's a jump box in between that and the Internet. But that's my rant for um, tunneling and how Internets work at corporate environments and, uh, you know, in places where high security is involved. I've had instances where, you know, client tells me there's no internet and I just tunnel out through my S tunnel and I'm good to go and I can do everything I need to do and to perform all the assessments I need to form. Um, sometimes you'll see fairly often that um, some of these misconfigured proxy servers will block all internet traffic, but they will allow anything HTTPS. So all you have to do is install HTTPS everywhere or use S tunnel or any, any number of other methods, but it will force HTTPS on every site and then everything will just work. And that's not, not the internet. So not only is it not plain text, it's everything is SSL and you don't have any visibility into it. And they're not trying to break the SSL to even see what you're doing. So 
you can essentially exfil data securely by default because there's no other way to to get on the internet except through SSL. So when you tell your, you know, clients and vendors and whatever that, you know, everything is locked down except for SSL, then you're basically telling everyone that if you want to exfil data, guess what? We're going to guarantee that that data is going to be encrypted when you exfil it and nobody will have any visibility into it. So, so that was a bit longer of a rant than I would thought for, for networking and connectivity. But suffice it to say, if someone tells you a network connected thing doesn't have internet, type NS lookup and do NS lookup space google.com. And if you get a resolve, tell them that that's what the internet is and laugh hysterically. Anyways, so let's move on to advanced in-map commands and or discovering networks. Now I'll involve, I will uh, follow up with some scripting. Um, I call it find routers. So basically the idea is there's a number of things you can do. There's just some discovery scripts for in-map that you can say uh, kind of listen for broadcast traffic which is not super effective when you're trying to traverse multiple networks. So the way networks work is if you're on the network, you can hear the traffic in general. If you're not within that LAN or that subnet, you can't necessarily hear the traffic unless it's intentionally being rebroadcasted out from the switch or device or whatever the thing is. They call stuff that moves packets around nowadays. So you've been dropped on site to do an assessment and you want to figure out what the network looks like. First thing you do is is plug in and see if you get an address. If you get an address, you're good. If you don't get an address and the port turns off and the color disappears and the power goes from the port, they have a thing called port monitoring. Usually this is in the form of Cisco's ICE and it has most of the time been misconfigured wherever I see it because it's really hard to do proper port security and make sure that everything is on the up and up and all your devices are compliant with certificates and things like that so what usually happens is if you don't get that light and you get kicked off the network then you go find a phone a printer a fax machine a thing that doesn't look like it's going to have support for um, secure connections and encryption you can basically assume the identity of that device in most cases so what you do is you flip the phone over or look at the printer do like we do with the local stuff and look for that MAC address. Assign your computer's MAC address to that computer, which MAC changer for Linux is what it's called. Windows is a little bit more tricky from 7 and up. You kind of have to do some shenanigans to get that interface to change. There's not a whole lot of easy ways to do it. There's a couple of uh, UI ones that out there that actually seem to work. But the idea there is you're taking the identity of a device that doesn't support certificates. And when you set all this up correctly the only way to really validate a person on the network is to either have a certificate or have them log in with some credentials. And you'll see this with like corporate wireless. You'll log in with your wireless credentials and that will get you on the wireless. And that's pretty secure actually in most cases. Um, But for wired devices, you have printers and fax machines and God knows whatever internet devices that need to be like basically bypassed because they don't support encryption. They don't support certificates or anything like that. So you you assume the identity of that phone, and then you start doing, saying, where am I, um, try to get a DHCP address. And most of the time, 99.9% of the time, your phones are going to be DHCP because no one can manage the static address of 
a large number of computers. So you might see static IPs in things like data centers or places where there's very important data going across. But in general, you're not going to see you're not going to see static IPs anywhere else. So workstations where there's people, where there's large numbers of devices, you're going to see DHCP utilized, and that's where you can kind of capitalize on that and use that to take someone else's identity. So you've taken the identity of a phone, and guess what? It's not a different network. It's not segmented. It's not a di- it's not on a different VLAN. It's on the same VLAN as everything else, as all your workstations, which is also common because guess what? If you need to print, that printer needs to be in the same area or sometimes um, it's easy, actually easier just to put that printer in the same network as your desktop and not separate them out and have two different networks for your printers and your phones and, and have everything on a flat network makes it a great, easy, great. But when you get an attacker on there, they can assume the identity of your phone and then say, you know, I'm in this 10 dot network and I want to try to figure out what other devices are there. The first thing to do is obviously listen you can sit on the network and listen and I'll put uh, in map trying to make myself some notes here in map um, listen timeouts for discovery sorry I have a very clicky keyboard so you have timeouts for discovery you can set on the discovery plugin for in map in map will sit there and listen uh, for known broadcast protocols and we'll give you a dump of everything that it sees and hears um, there's some other scary stuff like CARP or it's the Cisco Discovery Protocol CCDP. There's you can do some scary things like basically take over all the traffic on those if they're misconfigured. I wouldn't recommend doing that at a client site, but you can uh, pretty quickly use some of the tools to figure out whether that's potentially possible or not. So you want to be mindful of uh, Cisco Discovery Protocol. Um, also things like ICE. Once you connect to the network, you can try to do ARP poisoning, and in some cases, ICE, the Cisco ICE stuff prevents that, and in some cases, it doesn't um, by nature of how some of these products are configured by default. So I've been on client on client sites where they have this port monitoring, which prevents anybody from just arbitrary plugging in. We've identified a device on the network. We've taken the MAC address of that device and assumed its identity, and then we ARP poison the whole network to have all the traffic tunnel through um, our system, which basically brought Hump down the whole entire store because our traffic was getting null routed because for whatever reason, part of ICE, this, the protection for port monitoring was working, but we were able to do our poisoning. So all of the computers were basically logged out and, and had to re-log back in which was great because when they rebooted or restarted or tried to reconnect and try to re-authenticate, we were sitting there with our um, traffic listeners and listening to all the traffic. So we were able to catch everything, get plain text passwords for root devices and other protocols. And basically we had to go back to the client and, and tell them, explain to them how we were able to do it because they said they had these controls in place and they assumed that they were all working. And that's where we're at today is we have all these security controls, but nobody knows if they're working. Like, you know, when your computer's not working because it won't turn on. Or, you know, if the internet's not working, you can't get to Facebook. But if your security protocols and your security controls aren't working, there's no way to know. There, It's it's a it's a Schrodinger's cat. You don't know if, if it's there or not. So that's why you have people like penetration testers and vulnerability assessment people to kind of test those controls and make sure that they're actually working, what you paid millions of dollars for. 
is actually working. So I'll move in more to the, the more technical stuff. So we've listened for a while and we've discovered several networks, whatever. Um, we scan those networks and we get back some information. Maybe uh, we find some open protocols, but nothing good. We want to do a full scan. Um, we've done enough listening. We've done enough manual probing. And we want to do like a full scan of the entire network. Now, essentially what I ended up doing was there's kind of a two-pronged approach. If you can locate a switch or a um, networking device and use the SMTP function, which is a simple network management protocol, simple SNMP, I always get those switched around. So SNMP is simple network management protocol, which basically allows networking devices to talk to each other and um, really get a feel for what the device is doing and kind of check it in. Um, civil network management protocol is kind of an old protocol. It was open uh, to begin with, of course, with no authentication. So now we have V3, which has authentication. And then you have instances where people will wrap them in a, uh, a secure tunnel, like a VPN or something. But in general, you some, I would say probably a fourth of the time or a third of the time, you can find a network management device and if you can find a network management device, you can dump all, you can do a walk, simple network management protocol walk, and walk the tree of the protocol. And it will dump out all the networks that it knows about. And that will give you a pretty good idea of at least the networks around you outside of your direct hop. And when I say hop, that means the computer before the computer that talked to your computer, um, the, the on the way of the, on the way to get to you. Um, so I'll check those, I'll dump those out and I'll use those as my initial crawling. And then I'll look for more SMTP servers if I feel like it. Uh, but most time, you know, I'll kind of listen and then I'll do a full scan, um, because I just don't have the time to be quiet to loud approach, um, as quiet as that. So what I'll do is, is guess. And the problem with, with scanning all of Tindot is I'll explain kind of the local IP space private IP space is 192 is, I don't know, like 17,000 different hosts. Okay. So I'm cheating. We've got, uh, tw- one, uh 192 is, um, 65,000. Our 172 is 1 million and our 10 dot is 16 million. So even in a 172 environment, it's going to take anywhere from six hours to an hour, two hours, four hours to do a um, 172 scan with InMap. Now, I'll briefly talk about MassScan. MassScan is a mm, stateless scanner and is extremely fast. With that said, it can bring down networks pretty easily. And in most cases, you don't want to use it on an assessment unless you really want to test and get some really quick scans done. Now, we've had some success at some of my other employers using MassScan to quickly scan the entire network. And so what would take InMap, you know, four hours to do or even days to do, however long, MassScan can do it in a tiny fraction of the time by sending lots of packets very quickly and not really waiting for them to come back. Um, But in most cases, it's not something you want to run. There's other things like Unicorn Scanner or whatever, but MassScan has most of the feature sets that you want to be able to split up the network into manageable chunks and kind of go from there. So if you're scanning 172, generally you can kind of do like a quick ping scan and go from there. 
if you're trying to scan Tindot, the approach that I come up with is a guessing approach. So if you're starting on a Tindot, you're going to do something like 10.1 or 10.10 or 10.5, You're going to start at normal um, tenths values. Same for the other addresses. So it's going to be 10.5.5.10 or 10.5.5.1. And that last octet is where I'm looking for routers. So basically my script or my kind of one-liner that I have for MMAP says, basically I'm looking for any address and guessing any address that ends in dot one, dot two, dot two fifty four, and I think two fifty three. I've seen routers in those spaces, and the idea there is to do a very small scan. So instead of a million hosts or what is it, sixteen million, you're only scanning I don't know how many tens of thousands, but it's like sixty thousand or something, say. And because we're only doing instead of ten to the tenth or ten to the two fifty five to the two fifty five to the two fifty fifth, we're only doing instead of twenty two fifty five, we're doing each ten and maybe a couple of fives. So we'll do for the math, we're gonna do five or we're gonna do zero, uh five, ten, fifteen, then twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty, ninety, a hundred, then maybe one oh five and maybe one fifteen, and then all the way up to two fifty and maybe 240, whatever. And then the next one would be that same range. And then the last one would be dot uh, zero or dot 254. And the idea is to try to find other networks. And there's no easy way to do this, um, to, to my knowledge, unless you can get a full dump of a bunch of routers. There's no easy way to do this. So the only way to do it is to scan all of 10 dot, which there's no point in scanning 10 dot, 143.133.208. There's no point in scanning that IP address because chances are it's not going to be something that's at the beginning or the end of an IP space. So you want to intelligently scan the TIN space and greatly reduce your time to find those networks. Now, once that output is done it's a discovery and you can append and say okay okay we've got a 10.0.5. whatever and then we've got a .5.15 and start mapping that out and then doing full scans within those ranges so say you find 10 say you find 10.5.5. whatever or 10.5.10 or 10.6 through 15 and you scan those with map manually and instead of scanning the entire, you know, 255 block, you're only scanning two because there's only two in there. And then you might add to that too. So if there's a five dot, then you want to scan five through 10. If there's a 10 dot, you want to scan maybe 10 through 20. And if there's 20, you want to scan, you know, back and forth each direction. So if there's a five, maybe you want to scan four and three. And it's a, it's a matter of guessing. And you're trying to guess where their IP ranges are because no one's going to assign wonky IP ranges. Uh, another great way to find devices is just start adding together all your recon data. So as you get access to boxes, as you compromise hosts, you start dumping these these networks out and dumping this, all this information into a single singular place and start mapping things out. And that's where things can get tricky because you need to understand that 
like I said, everything is kind of connected to the internet. So at the end of the day, you might be in somewhere else's, somebody else's backyard. So I kind of give the analogy of like digging. So you're told to dig in somebody's backyard for dead bodies and you dig and dig and dig and you find a dead body and you're like, cool. And then, you know, there's a tag on the body that says, you know, left 15 feet over here. There's another dead body and you keep digging, you keep digging and like seeing, you know, like, Oh, look at all these bodies I found. And then you realize you're in somebody else's yard and you just dug up their dead bodies and you have to go tell them, Hey, by the way, I found your dead bodies in your backyard and I'm sorry, this isn't my place to be and I'm not supposed to be here, but you know, you're connected to my neighbor. So uh, I don't know. It's not, it's your fault. You don't have a moat type of thing. So that can happen and it has happened and I haven't had any, luckily any bad experiences, just, you know, white flushed out faces because freaked out so the idea there is we've done our guests network and i'll improve my little my scanner and do the math on it i used to have a bash script similar to what uh, kenneth had for the 10 dot and it would you know forward 1 to 10 and 5 to 15 it would like make the ip space and map out and dump out an input file now i just do comma separated values and one liner for nmap so there's no input text document that needs to be added so i'll update that um i don't do a lot of discovery or um pen testing and stuff um i don't do client engagements anymore i work for a company now so but i'll update that anyways because i like the idea of how i discover networks and how quickly you can discover networks too so from a discovery standpoint you've you know done your scans you find out your neighbors you find out there's some fives and some tens and some 30s through 35 and maybe there's a 40 through 43 and um, in the 10 dot space you've scanned the 172 space just completely because it's a fast network and you found everything on there 192 you scan because you know it's easy to scan there's only 65,000 in there and that's pretty 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 quick to, to scan and you have all your hosts now, from a discovery standpoint, you've done pretty much everything you can do from an IP space to discover other hosts on the network. Now, when that starts to scale up is when you have access to another device. So, for example, if a device is has two interfaces and those two interfaces are connected to two different networks that you may or may not be in scope or may or may not be part of the same network. So, for example, you've got a security vendor, and the security vendor, the way they do their shenanigans is they, you know, set up a VPN from their corporate protected environment, quote-unquote, to your, you know, your environment, so they're connected, so they can do updates and things like that. And you'll find that this happens a lot. Um, service providers, anybody that gives you a box that does magical things, they usually have full-blown admin rights remotely to that box, and they can do whatever they want, which is pretty scary in a enterprise environment because you're trusting them to have keys to your house. It's essentially giving some vendor a key to your house and hope that they don't, you know, some guy doesn't rob them of all their keys and, you know, try to break into everybody's house at once over the weekend. So there's a pretty strong, it's pretty strong, um, chance that there's someone on the corporate network that is coming from somewhere else or that's a vendor and it's sitting on a different network. So you have to be careful with that and understand that, you know, maybe you pop a phone switch and that phone switch got to be being a connection to a different network and you need to look around and say, Hey, look, here's another interface. Let me look. Oop. This doesn't look like this is has to do with phones. This looks like somebody else's network. This is not 
my client, the naming convention is different. Let me just make my notes and, you know, tell the client that, you know, we've discovered and we're able to move laterally through someone else's connections, right? I would say, I think that pretty much covers network discovery. Um, you know, there's other networks besides IP networks that I don't really have time to get into or want to get into here, but I don't have a whole lot of experience with anything outside of TCP networking and discovery. So I think I've pretty much ranted and talked about discovery to the fullest extent that I can. Um, but I will say if you do get the chance to pilot mask in, you can throttle it to different speeds. So where mask in or where a scan on inmap takes, you know, 30 minutes, it might take three, three seconds or 60 seconds with mask scan. So depending on the speed, you want to start slow. Um, not even the default, you want to start slow and then start ramping it up until people start reporting that things are out. Now things might actually go down and then you don't figure out till later because that's how, that's how businesses work. They don't understand the networking and the networking infrastructure folks don't really know what it looks like when, when someone goes after their network like that. Um, you're essentially kind of denial of servicing the entire network when you're using mass scan. So you want to start slow and start scaling it up. And, you know, we were able to do mass scan from nine boxes on a hundred thousand hosts in 30 minutes, two hours, something like that. So we can do an entire 10 dot scan, um, 172 scan, and 192 scan all in under two hours. And I'll put that, uh, my lame DM map, lame DM map. It's a distributed in map script that I wrote that, um, I had assigned to another uh, gentleman and, um, you know, he was trying to kind of make it gold. And I said, look, we just need to POC this, see if it works. Um, and he wasn't able to lipper in time. So I quickly wrote a, a script that would just work. Um, it's not secure necessarily by any means, but just uses SSH keys to run and perform scans on other boxes. And it picks up batch jobs and all kinds of stuff and checks the remote host to see if they're running in map. If they're not, it picks up the next batch job. So, um, that's kind of interesting. Anyways, I think that covers all network discovery that I'm aware of. Now there's the whole wireless thing. Um, you know, you can do it with your phone. Um, you can do it with an Uber tooth, um, an Uber tooth, an Uber one, whatever you can do it with any number of things. But nowadays like wireless discovery is pretty simple as far as discovering networks. Um, but as far as breaking into them, um, you've got, you know, secure networks with certificates, you've got passwords, you can try and brute force. There's home networks that have varying degrees of protocols which have issues or known routers that have issues or weak passwords that you can kind of brute force keys and and pins for those but in general wireless is a little more difficult to do discovery on especially if you don't have authentication to wireless because in most cases right your wireless is going to have authentication on it but you'd be surprised you're your commercial or your residential wirelesses aren't protected. Mine is a passphrase, but it's it's pretty weak. So I, I would like to do a thing on wireless discovery, but I don't. I haven't done it in honestly ten years professionally. Um, I set up a couple of of uh, Linux boxes to do 
uh, work driving stuff with um, Kismet, and that's about close as I've gotten. So there's not a whole lot there. But in general, um, I'll say some more in that specific stuff. So uh, my favorite switches are uh, kind of go over my favorite switches here. So one thing people don't know is if you're running in map kind of interactively, you can use the D and V as in Victor and D as in Delta keys to increase the debug level and the verbosity level and holding shift will decrease the relevant switch. So shift D will decrease, shift V will increase and V will increase and D will increase the debug level. Those are little known, so you can turn them up and down. If you, if in-map looks like it's being weird, being wonky, you can kind of turn the debug level up a couple and see what it's doing, what it's getting stuck on, and kind of adjust from there. But once you kind of tell in-map to run, there's not a whole lot you can do to pick up where you left off. They do have some resume stuff, but it's not 100%, and it doesn't really scale to, to that big. Let's see. SV is like service fingerprinting. I will do script arguments. I'll provide kind of my one-liner one for in-map. Um, what's the other ones I like to use? Um, to check for external connectivity, the port's open. You can scan let me out of your .NET. So if you scan like the top 2,000 ports with let me out of your .NET and you get one open and you hope that it's not using the packet inspection, you can tunnel your traffic whatever you want over that port if you're lucky let's see there's heartbleed checkers and i'll put the link to my fubu script um i will say there's specific ones around smb stuff that i have some notes for but in general there's only like four four switches you need to know and they're kind of all in here let's see there's the T5 setting, which I try to use where possible. It makes it faster and sets some things for you. I'll also do max retries 1 and min parallelism 100. That seems to help make things a little bit quicker. It really depends. You have to find your bottlenecks and kind of work around your bottlenecks sometimes. I always use the dash dash open because I don't want closed or filtered ports in my gobbling up my results. I also like top ports. That's a fun one to do. I'll use that, generally speaking. I'll do output all, which is O, and then capital A, lowercase O, capital A. I'll do top ports. I'll do T5. I'll do SS, which is by default if you're running root anyways. I have some custom Oracle script checking that will make a... Um, in the list, you look for Oracle. There's some notes around Oracle doing Oracle scans to try to find default logins and stuff. For Oracle instances. There's a lot to InMap. It's essentially a vulnerability scanner. I'm working on a one-liner. I think it's called like work in progress, WIP, InMap one-liner, something like that, bone scan. And it's pretty noisy, obviously. So it gets stuck in a lot of places. So I'm working on, you know, the more networks I get access to, the more I'll run that one-liner. And if it doesn't get stuck anywhere, or if it gets stuck somewhere, then I'll evaluate how it got stuck and either add it in or work around that that thing that it gets stuck on. So there's you know a fair number of plugins that run 
if you enable all the plugins and disable all the safety stuff, they will run and take for flipping ever. And especially if it's something with throttle authentication like SSH, whatever. Anyways, there's a million things. I will link to somebody else's in-map training thing that's a really great job. He supports the community um, here nationally and goes to conferences and stuff. Um, Brimstone, pretty pretty sharp dude here in Atlanta. So I'll post his Git repository for like in-map training if you want to get into all the weeds of that. There's some really great stuff in there. Great approach. But anyways, hope this helps out. If you have any questions... Feel free to hit me up if you're, you know, doing an assessment. Feel free to dial me in or reach out to me and get my number. I don't, you know, I take, I take calls from folks fairly often, and it's great to hear somebody, you know, hey, I got access to this box, but I don't know what to do, or I think this thing is interesting over here. What do I do? And there's, you know, not a whole lot of people out there that will spoon feed you the right steps to do things. Um, you can hang out in Discord chat and Red Team and pen testing forums and testing chat rooms and stuff but really nobody's going to hold your hand and really help you out but feel free to reach out to me if that's your if that's your dig or if you're interested in it um gotta go from there appreciate it later you've been listening to hacker public radio at hackerpublicradio.org we are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday monday through friday Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.